We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fallout from the Russell Wilson trade to the Denver Broncos. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yardsburg Gretsch and my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his work at Rotoviz. Sean has been writing a ton of stuff over at Rotoviz. I mean, if you're not reading everything Sean writes, then you're doing this wrong. Uh, I have not yet gotten an opportunity to read most of it, but I can guarantee you I will be going back and reading it when uh, when I get to that point. But I was over at Rotoviz to today or yesterday, and there's just like so many Sean Siegel posts up right now that I want to click on. I'm sort of like, I, I mentioned this on a prior show, I'm sort of waiting to read all of your thoughts until I've formulated more of my own because uh, I, I think they're so important. But you have been writing very prolifically lately. So how's that going? Good. We're into this exciting time of the football schedule. And, and Ben, one of the great things about covering the NFL is that it seems like everything is an exciting time, right? We have the combine. We have free agency. We had some franchise tags yesterday, some new contracts. Uh, there will be trades, as we know, and then... We move into the draft. We move into the perfect fantasy time of the year where we're drafting. Then we're back into the NFL season. So it's just. There's no off season. No off season, but like the greatest career that you could have because you get to play slash work all the time. And there are always things to talk about. And then today we were going to talk about the combine. And the combine was absolutely huge for those of us who have a lot of 2022 first round picks. The value of those picks really went up. A lot of players tested extremely well. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, it was, it was unfortunate for Ben. He he was you know in the full-blown stages of grief yesterday, as anyone who follows him on Twitter knows. But there was a big trade. Aaron Rodgers decides to stay with the Green Bay Packers, and that creates a chain of events where Russell Wilson is moved to the Denver Broncos. So we're going to have a little bit of a reality show for you today. Obviously, there'll be tons and tons of fantasy repercussions. And I'm going to try to convince Ben that this is actually a great trade for the Seahawks. He feels like he's now part of and rooting for one of the worst organizations in sports. So we'll we'll, we'll see what, <laughs> what he comes with here. 
Yeah, we exchanged some emails about the combine and how exciting that was. And we were all prepared for the, the first show this week to be centered on that. I was super excited to get your thoughts on that. You do a lot more of the rookie work than I do. And then the Russell Wilson trade went down. And so we're going to do that show later this week. That will that will come. Uh, I'm excited still to do that show. But the Seahawks traded Russell Wilson. And so, Sean, one of, I, yeah, I, I sent a few tweets yesterday. One of the ones I sent that um, you and I discussed a little bit, and I, I think you mentioned that you thought was was pretty funny was that the Seahawks are the worst manager in your dynasty league who got lucky in your one and decided they're just that good buying high and selling low and never considering value once for the next decade. And I think there it's, it's fun to sort of look at this from that perspective because there is some lessons there as well for dynasty. I mean, this is the type of stuff I, I often joke that I don't think I'm particularly good at dynasty, but this is the type of stuff that I definitely don't want to be doing that they have done over the years. One of the things about the the trade package that has been floated and discussed is it's not that dissimilar from what they gave up for Jamal Adams a couple of years ago. And at the time of that trade, I mean, again, it's easy to look at things in hindsight, but at the time of that trade, most of the intelligent sort of analytics focused Seattle fans were very much of the mind that this was a horrible trade. They were giving up a lot of draft capital for safety who needed a new deal. And that's a huge part of it as well. Uh, that doesn't necessarily translate to dynasty. They gave up a ton of assets, two firsts and a third, as well as, you know, Bradley McDougal for Jamal Adams, and then signed him to a four-year $70 million extension that made him the highest paid safety in, in history. He's getting paid massive amounts of money. My quick question would be though, how has he played over the first couple of years? And how does that contract look now within the context of, some of the deals that were quickly signed afterward. Yeah. Yeah. The cap has gone up. There's stuff there that, that, you know, you, it can be salvaged. He hasn't played particularly well in coverage and that's a, that's been, you know, a big knock. He's not bad or anything. It's just this element of like, you traded two first round picks and because Seattle had such a bad 2021, one of those picks becomes the 10th overall pick in this year's 2022 draft one pick behind sort of the centerpiece that Seattle got back for Russ Wilson in the in the trade with Denver, which will be the ninth overall pick in this year's draft. They also get Denver's first round pick next year, which presumably won't be particularly high, but this might this is part of what Sean, as you and I were talking a little bit before the, the show, that we're gonna have to to discuss because definitely where you come down on this trade is is related to where you think Russell Wilson is at in his career at 33 and what the rest of his career might look like what i think is fairly inarguable and this is why i'm so shocked by your your we haven't really broke this down yet but sort of your stance on russell wilson what i think is fairly inarguable is that to this point at least until his hand injury which after the hand injury didn't play well this past year wilson has been if not elite Definitely not just above average. Like he's been very, very good. I don't have actually great data on this, but this is just something that I, you know, it's one of those things that I know that I've tracked over the years. I've paid somewhat attention to it. People who, you know, know my background, know I'm from the Pacific Northwest. I'm not even a huge Seahawks fan, 
but everyone around me, it's all my friends, family, all those types of people. So I get asked about the Seahawks more than any other team by leaps and bounds. I get asked about Russell Wilson all the time. His play has been a major, major talking point in the Pacific Northwest, whether he takes too many sacks, all this, and you know, sports talk radio and more traditional media that a lot of the people that I talk with are listening to. And so I have these conversations a lot and have for years. And I mean, certainly there's, there's a couple elements. One has the Seahawks have the Seahawks done enough to build a good team around him throughout his prime. I think it's pretty easy to make a case that they've done a really poor job of that Two, Have they ever put him in the right type of offense uh, for him to potentially succeed? I also think it's pretty easy to build uh, an argument that, they have never done that <laughs> other than the beginning of 2020, where they actually started to have a little bit higher of a, you know, pass rate over expectation and early down pass rate and, and were throwing with more intent and their offense was fantastic, but their defense was giving up a lot of points. And the, you know, the traditionally held thought is that they sort of lost their nerve and they went to a little bit more of a run heavy focus, but they have some playoff losses where there are discussions and you go back to the Dallas loss. And I think it was like 2018, where there were just clear discussions after the game about how this conservative offensive style led to postseason losses. And, and to be clear, like that's a huge part of my point is like you have a really good quarterback through his prime and they haven't made a conference championship since the loss to the Patriots in the Super Bowl, which yes, they made back-to-back Super Bowls, but they, since that was 2013, 2014, since 2015, They've not made a conference championship. They've made the playoffs almost every year, which is not, I think, particularly hard when you have a quarterback playing at a, at a very high level. And so this element of continuously stalling out in the wild card round or the divisional round, in large part because you're playing better teams and you're not playing good, the right type of football, good enough football. You know, we talk all the time on this show about how you need to put teams away and you need to be aggressive offensively. The Seahawks have had some key postseason losses because of an unwillingness and key spots in those games, the stuff that we talked about during this past postseason, the, the bad team's not doing and it costing them. The Seahawks have a, a lot of their postseason struggles have been centered on that. So those two elements of not necessarily building the team correctly and then not understanding how to win with Russell Wilson, that's sort of the past leading up to now, but the question of like whether Wilson can be really good going forward is interesting. And so I think you're looking at this from this context of like where they're at now, what, what else could they do? Certainly I'm looking at it from the context of how did we get here? Like how did they make so many bad decisions to put them in a position to be here? I mean, some of it for me is, is the sunk cost stuff that I probably shouldn't be worried about, but it's years and years of underperformance in my mind. I think they've been really, they've like significantly underperformed from this period of 2015 to 2021, what they should have gotten out of their QB play specifically. And so you can go back to the fact that yes, Pete Carroll and John Schneider drafted Russell Wilson, but how much credit do you want to give for them drafting the sixth quarterback in that draft in the third round? Like, yes, it was a good pick, but obviously, you know, we talk about this like Tom Brady and stuff. Like if they knew he was going to be amazing, they would have taken him higher, frankly. Sometimes there's just good fortune. And so they they wind up with that and they wind up with several other really good draft picks early on, but basically a ton of bad draft picks since bad trades, roster mismanagement, poorly allocated cap to the wrong position groups. It's, it's, it's really interesting to look back, but looking forward at Wilson, there's this whole discussion of, you know, what could he be? And the thing that I've sort of tracked and as I've had these conversations with Seattle fans over the years 
and a lot of this has come from Ben Baldwin, who's, you know, I think a Seahawks fan by nature, does a lot of really good football analytics research. But one of the, you know, he's one of the guys that does a lot of work on these like early down pass rates and those things. And the guys at PFF have done great work on the stability of certain types of passing. And so early, uh, excuse me, um, clean pocket passing is a lot more stable in terms of how good a quarterback is. And then under pressure, efficiency and things like that it's a little bit more high variance what's going to come from those plays and one of the things about russell wilson early in his career is he was able to continuously sustain really good play even while under pressure create some big plays he did take some sacks but create these huge plays but his clean pocket passing has been strong as well and so he was this really you know sort of elite quarterback over these last couple of years where the opinion has changed at least as, as far as i understand it i don't have all these numbers in front of me or anything but sort of as I've learned it over the years, he's still been good on, on in clean pockets. And he's still been good, especially on early downs in these non-obvious passing situations. But he's been worse in third down efficiency in obvious passing situations. He's been worse under pressure. Uh, again, these are the more high variance elements where the defense is more prepared. And so... I've still viewed him as a pretty high level quarterback where especially if Seattle had ever done anything to address the offensive line, which essentially Russ has never played behind a good offensive line, but you know, the average ones at least, but not necessarily like a really good one. If they'd ever done anything to address the offensive line and help him in some of those ways that probably, especially because he's been so good in the um, uh, clean pocket statistics throughout probably his play would be better. And then also if they had ever done anything to consistently throw in the non-obvious situations, because he's been good in those situations throughout. I mean, even last year when he got hurt, I remember seeing the data that he was, I think second in the league in early down passing efficiency at that time, but he was actually really poor in late down passing efficiency. If I'm not mistaken, I'm, I'm kind of doing this off memory at the point he got hurt. And everyone was saying that Russ was playing bad early last season. And I, that, that was the stuff I was looking at and having some conversations with friends during this past season and saying, he hasn't been that bad. Like we just aren't protecting him necessarily. And he's been worse in this high variance element of under pressure passing efficiency. And so anyway, I, I think going forward with the Broncos, that they're going to get a guy who if they can protect him better, they have a better offensive line is going to be good still in these clean pocket situations. And potentially because the, under pressure stuff is high variance, potentially that could swing back around and be a positive efficiency thing. But the way that I have viewed it is the perception of Russ has been largely tied to his production in the higher variance side of things, whether he's been viewed as elite at certain times is when he's been very good at the high variance stuff. And when he's been viewed as less than elite has been when he's been worse at the high variance stuff, but he's been consistently pretty good when in these clean pockets and when kept uh, or when uh, able to pass in these, you know, non-obvious passing situations. And so I put a lot of the blame on the way that Seattle has managed him in terms of what the perception of him is. That's sort of my case, Sean. But you have a slightly different case, and I'm very interested in it. Yeah, and I think you mentioned, and it's kind of hard to kind of go back and forth with this because it is kind of a, a full thesis. So, I mean, you laid out a lot of different important elements there, with Wilson and I think that we kind of have to separate out all of the mistakes that Seattle has made in the past because 
they're relevant to this trade in terms of how we got here. If they don't make those mistakes, then Seattle probably isn't in the situation where Russell Wilson wants to leave, which is actually a critical part of the trade itself too, and how much they can get for him. And I don't have any doubts or any, you know, counter argument to the fact that Wilson has been very, very good. He has been very, very good. And I think, you know, anybody who doesn't understand that the Seahawks and the way that they run offense has been somewhat disastrous for both him and then obviously for the team as they try and get the highest seeds as they try to win in the playoffs. I think that stuff is fairly straightforward and you're exactly right. I think the question is about, you know, where we go now, what type of quarterback he is, how he will age. And if in fact, to be the kind of quarterback that you would want to keep during this next stretch of his career, he in fact has to be good at those high variance elements as well, because I think a big part of what he's always been really relies on that maybe even more than most quarterbacks, because you go in and you look at some of the numbers throughout his career for time to attempt. And um, Wilson is not one of these guys who can drop back and immediately pick a defensive apart, right? He's a guy who has to draw these plays out and then make big plays. And Russell Wilson has always been an amazing quarterback at the deep ball. He throws a beautiful deep ball, very accurate. He's able to give his players a chance to get open at those depths and distances. And one of the things that I think the Seahawks, you have to argue, have done reasonably well, at least recently. I mean, he's had some guys early in his career where he was an absolute superstar, where it really seemed like he was the guy elevating them. More recently, he's had Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. And this is, you know, where you get into the chicken and the egg kind of element. But with Lockett and Metcalf, you have two very different but elite deep ball receivers. And so I think that has to help. One of the things that we've seen with some of these QBs who do want to go to other teams to finish out their career is to try and find this element where they have weapons around them. Wilson has had that. Then you kind of go this element of, well, within the context of who he is, what does he need to do? And you mentioned the sacks and how people in Seattle have criticized that type of element. There has been at times the issue with the offensive line. There's also just this element where kind of either way, Wilson is going to be one of these players who's really looking for the dig deep play. And I think with the Broncos, that kind of thing is going to be better. But the funny thing, I just always think back to some of these Cardinals games in the past where they would have the snap and immediately three or four you know, Cardinals defenders would flow through the line and, and take you know a 15-yard sack without him having a chance even to look down the field. So there's definitely this offensive line element to it. At the same time with Wilson, the way he plays, he's going to need to bring some of that rushing element to the game. And that's where we get into this complicated situation because you mentioned the finger injury. And that really makes it difficult to evaluate where he is. Now, you hear some GMs and number one, you know, I wouldn't take this that seriously to start with. Certainly these people aren't on the record, but saying that he's no longer the same player and that whoever picks him up is going to have this late career element that isn't quite the same and also just sort of foreshadowing and perhaps trying to actually uh, move the market themselves or influence the market a little bit saying that the Seahawks would not be able to get nearly as much for him as people expected. I actually think they had a, got a great package. We'll get to that in a minute. So Wilson here, the thing that really jumps out to me at this career low in rushing yards, he has the career low in QBR as well. He's way down 20th in EPA per game at QB trailing players who you know are not good. And some of which 
will not be starting next year. You and I have talked a little bit about, you know, their strengths and weaknesses to this expected points added reality metric. It's interesting there because that kind of goes back to your point about some of these high variance plays where he hasn't been able to make them. And at key moments in the game, that's going to really influence sort of how you think about the player. But another thing that I think jumps out as being interesting is that Seattle, as he's been the quarterback, has been poor in terms of points per drive for having that level of quarterback. Now, again, that goes back to your point of the really poor play calling. But when the Seahawks are down in this like 2.10 or 2.1 range and you're looking at Kansas City, you know, up above 2.7, Green Bay above 2.5, Dallas, Buffalo, uh, the Chargers, the Rams, all above 2.5. You look at that Baltimore time period in the previous two years before Lamar Jackson was hurt this last year, and they're up almost at 2.8. And so we're seeing quarterbacks who are putting a lot more points on the board. And so again, it's a matter of who do you blame and where is Wilson now? But I do think again, that with that element too, you're looking at something that's going to influence the trade market, at least to an extent, right? So we've got a number of metrics for Wilson that are a concern. And I feel like for Wilson, especially those high variance plays, again, are going to be so important. The fact that he was less dynamic as a scrambler in the running game, that part for me, now he's had one previous season where his numbers were down and he bounced back. And so there's not to say that he couldn't bounce back with the Broncos. And kind of before kicking it back to you, one of the things that I would say here is that I think that this trade massively raises the ceiling and dramatically decreases the floor for the Seahawks. But one of the big problems for the Seahawks now is that because Wilson goes to the Broncos, from a public relations and a perception standpoint, they have a lot to lose because the Broncos are very, very good. And so Wilson, if he can be even a slightly above average quarterback going forward, I don't think he has to be a star to make the Seahawks look bad from that perspective of it, because he's going to have weapons there and they have the defense. The thing that I think Seahawks, I don't know how much Seahawks fans care about this. I know it is difficult to have a homegrown star player that you have all those emotional connections to go someplace else and succeed. If there's hard feeling with that and a feeling that Russell Wilson forced this trade, I mean, you're kind of relying on Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert to not allow Russell Wilson to succeed with the Broncos. And then some of the things we've talked about with Joe Burrow and Josh Allen to where it's going to be harder to get through the AFC. So from that perspective, you know, at least they have him in the other conference and they have him in this dynamic where he's going to face a very difficult schedule going forward. But what are your thoughts here on you're, you're saying that you think that he is, I think we both agree that he's going to look good with the Broncos. One of the things for me is that, and this kind of goes back to the show that, that you know, we got great feedback on you and I enjoy making about the teams that are going to break out, right? The Seahawks by making this trade, they obviously lose Russell Wilson, but separate from everything that they get in the trade is the fact that now they do not have to pay him this epic amount of money. Now, obviously he was under contract for a couple of years. Those will play out. Then 
But I think to not make this trade, you would also need to re-sign him beyond his current contract and kind of have this Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers-ish time period where you're getting him for age 37, 38, 39. The amount of money they would have had to pay him in a time period where we might be even more skeptical about what he can still do would have been astronomical. And it would have made it very difficult to build the team around him, especially with some of those things that you've mentioned where team construction and those types of decisions has not been a strength for this organization, you know, kind of going back from the point at which they selected Russell Wilson. Hello there, Colin Kelly here, co-host of the Rotoviz Overtime Podcast. I just want to take a moment to let you know as a loyal Rotoviz Podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% off a Rotoviz NFL pass. All you have to do is head on over to rotoviz.com, add the subscription to your basket, and add the promo code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. That'll get you 10% off, it'll get you access to all of our content and tools, and of course set you up for success in all your 2022 fantasy football rosters. That code is RVRADIO2022. I hope you enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So many good points there. The first thing I'm going to hit on is your sneaky acknowledgement that because the Broncos are so good, it doesn't really matter how good Russell Wilson's going to play. He's going to look great. So you've now you've not positioned yourself very well to, to not look bad at, uh, in this discussion in hindsight because he's going to go look good. But it'll be easy to say that he looked better than he should have because you're absolutely right. The Broncos are fantastic i think that was uh that was a very it was good strategy point. it was a funny point and i had i had to call you on it um and then another point that you made in there that i definitely want to acknowledge i don't think russell wilson is like really kind of the type of guy that he's an interesting dude off the field not the type of guy that i would particularly feel that i would have a great time having a beer with or something but I'm very happy for him for some of the reasons you said that like he is going to get to go play in a team like this and presumably one that will allow him to throw a little bit more non-obvious situations and, and potentially create some opportunities for him that that maybe have not been there throughout his career. 
And then also your large point about his current and future production. I, I think a big part of my commentary is that I think it's pretty inarguable that prior to now, Seattle just mess everything up. I think it, the way that you're viewing it, I don't necessarily have strong disagreements with because I absolutely have to acknowledge that there is concern after the hand injury and with a 33-year-old quarterback who relies on mobility. And as some of those high-variance elements that we're talking about have gone worse, they could have gone worse just because he's not as good at escaping the pocket and things as he's aged, right? And so if some of that is true, he's not – I mean, a lot of what he did in his early career, these spins and things in the pocket – He's getting away from elite athletic defensive ends. Maybe he doesn't have that in his bag anymore. And then throwing 60-yard strikes. And then throwing just perfect deep balls. I mean, that's what obviously the, the, the best part about Russell Wilson is his deep ball accuracy. It's incredible. I completely agree with you that Lockin and Metcalf has raised, have raised that. But you can go back to, you know, early career and guys like, you know, Jermaine Curse catching huge playoff touchdowns on balls that, like, Jermaine Curse is creating – a yard of separation and Russell Wilson is hitting him as perfect as you can put it. Right. I mean, it's just, he's, he is for my money until Patrick Mahomes came along was, was the best deep ball passer in the NFL. And we know how important deep ball passing is and, and deep, deep efficiency is. And so the fact that he was able to do that, like, yeah, you're, he's relying on that for his big numbers, but also that's a Trump card. Like that's a huge, huge asset. Right. And so I don't think you disagree with that. And then the last thing that you said that I also have, that I typed down as you were, as you were talking that I think is super important is this commentary on what they would have had to pay him, how the team looks going forward. Can they be successful with this trade package? You're absolutely right that if they can hit on a QB, they now have a new rookie QB window. And I think you're actually pretty optimistic about this QB class after the combine and some other things. And we'll talk about this over the next few weeks, but they can hit on someone at the number nine pick who winds up being a pretty good quarterback, you're now in this new rookie QB window that we have talked about on this show could be massive for them. They do have the receivers in place. Now they have Noah fan at tight end. They have playmakers. Um, if they can get some, some things figured out on defense, I mean, yeah, they could actually be a little bit of an upstart team. There's people saying that they, you know, they're going to look like one of the worst teams in the league this year. That's also very much possible, right? If their quarterback play especially isn't good. And it might be even if their quarterback play is eventually good. And this accomplishes something I think that you are looking for where when we were emailing back and forth and I was optimistic and you're like, no, Sean, this makes the team worse. Well, what have made him better is Pete Carroll getting fired. Don't you kind of feel like this paves the way because the element with like who gets credit, right? And you have Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, you know, you have Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, you have Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. And I think most fans want to put this on Russell Wilson especially recently, because most of the failures have seemed to be Pete Carroll. But going back and kind of looking at how good they've been together in this one bad year, especially bad year with a difficult schedule, right? I mean, the, AF, the NFC West was brutal. And Seattle actually may have been one of the better teams on the NFL at the end of the year, which I think probably goes back to your point of, you know, why don't you make another push here? But if they can create a bad team next season, then much easier to fire Pete Carroll. You get your wish there. They have that high pick in 2023 along with this package. And right, then so, you have this potential, just like you said, this great window yeah, opening new up window. in the future. Totally agree with that. There's reason for vague optimism into the future. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't want to talk about any of that right now. That is like, who cares? <laughs> like, let's talk about, okay, first of all, 
Pete Carroll and John Schneider as a as a team have made horrible trades over the I mean I went through this morning and looked at every trade they've made they've made some decent ones we were just talking uh, before the show I had not actually I'd gone through an old transaction wire and I don't think it had every trade or it definitely didn't have every trade because I thought of some that weren't listed and one that we were talking about before the show was Frank Clark which was a great trade for Seattle they got a lot of a lot of a return for a player that then was, you know, owed a, owed a new deal. The, the, the those are tough trades because you're giving up a lot of compensation and you're paying a guy. And so like Jamal Adams, Seattle was on the other side of that trade. Seattle was on the other side of the Jimmy Graham trade on the other side of the Percy Harvin trade where they gave up first plus additional stuff. And they then went and paid that player. And all of those trades did not look good in, in real time. And even, you know, you can go to like the Sheldon Richardson trade. They give up a second round pick for him. Uh, he's a free agent to be after the year. He walks after one year. It's, you know, I remember at the time of that trade, a lot of people in Seattle were like, this is not the time to be pushing all the chips in. It wasn't the best Seattle team they had. It was 2017. It was the only year until 2021 where in Russell Wilson's career, where the Seahawks did not make the, the postseason, even after they made the Sheldon Richardson trade. So it was basically giving up a second round pick to try to try to compete that season because they ended up letting him walk. Like I said, after that year. And it didn't, it didn't help them compete. And, you know, they, they weren't, they weren't good enough anyway. Um, so they've made a lot of these types of kind of questionable trades throughout. And so the, a big part of the, the the point here, like, yes, this, this pushes Pete Carroll and, and, and Schneider out. Like they're, they're going to be gone in a couple of years. I think um, you'd have to expect Carroll 70, but a big part of my point is like, why are they still here to make the trade to, to give up Russell Wilson? Like they shouldn't, I thought they were going to get fired at the end of the year. I actually thought they would. There's some difficulty on the ownership side with Paul Allen's unfortunate passing. You know, Carol and, and Schneider have a lot of power now, and and uh, I believe it's his daughter that is currently sort of managing the ownership side of things. Um, I don't know a lot about all of that. Let me just be clear, but it was probably going to be tough to let go of the you know the coach and the GM that brought Seattle a championship, regardless. And uh, I even got a, a message on Twitter that was like, if you know alternate world if Paul Allen hadn't unfortunately passed away like probably they move on from Pete Carroll and, and John Schneider this offseason and maybe that's true maybe that's true that he would have had a little bit more confidence to make that move or something uh you know who knows but my my thought is you're letting them make this trade where like yeah just like you said where do they fit in this future like they're not going to be I mean their window is short I mean especially Carroll's he's 70 like he's not going to coach I mean maybe he thinks he's going to coach till he's 80 I don't know but they don't have like this massive leash to work with. So the, like, I, I just don't even understand why if you're actually serious about potentially trading Russell Wilson, why you don't let the next regime make these decisions about the future of the team. And so like, to me, it's, it's, this, it's this question of why not ever try Russell Wilson in an offense that's actually throwing on early downs and actually doing some of these things. Cause I agree with you that it would be tough to win with him in the, in the future on a huge contract with the roster as it is, because the, the, the cupboard is barren. The picks have not been good for a long, a long time. If you go back to the draft pick history and I had, I went through that this morning, it's brutal over the last seven years since they had the really great bonanza of not just Wilson in the third round, but Sherman and KJ Wright and Bobby Wagner, Cam Chancellor, all of whom were, uh, outside of round one. And they also hit on Earl Thomas in round one. It just like it built their the core of their team. And 
all those guys on rookie contracts can currently allow them to go add free agents, allow them to add Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill in the same offseason. And that's the year. I mean, they go on and they win the Super Bowl. And they have this really strong peak window of 2013 and 2014. And that's great. But like the lesson they learned is that they know better rather than, hey, we got a little bit fortunate here. And basically every pick since, I mean, literally, like almost every pick since the 2012 draft when uh, they got Wagner and Russ, that was their last like good draft. They've got nothing, like uh, nothing in 2013, 2014. 2015 had Frank Clark and Tyler Lockett in the second and third round. Good, good picks in the second and third round. I'll give them that. 2016, nothing. 2017, nothing. I mean, 2018 is a is a Rashad Penny year in the first round. Nothing. There's a couple small hits here. I'm, I'm being a little bit, you know, Justin Britt in 2014 was a decent offensive lineman. Chris Carson in the seventh round, 2017. You get a, you get a productive running back in the seventh round. Uh, you go, got to go all the way up to 2019 though to really be like, okay, you get DK Metcalf in the second round. That's a, you know, that was a steal too. Everybody thought he fell in the draft. It was sort of a fortunate thing. Their first round pick that year, LJ Collier, another one of these toolsy overdrafted, ends up doing nothing. Sorry, I, I guess 2015, I also have to give them that credit for Clark and Lockett. But there's a lot of picks in these years that are just not good picks. The NFL, I mean, it's hard. And that's one of the reasons why I think you're frustrated about the, you know, what they get back, because it's all contingent on, you know, what actually happens there. One of the things that's interesting is, you know, so why are they a part of it? And for both you know, the good are mostly the bad. I mean, these guys are not going to fire themselves. And the thing that you mentioned there that would really scare me if I'm a Seattle fan is that this is not the end of it. Yeah. That this trade here. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. I think was actually very, very good. I think this was a fantastic trade. I'll make that argument here in a second. But my fear would be that a catastrophic trade is coming on the heels of this to try to make them competitive this year. And that's and that's the point before I, you know, let you get to to the argument about what they actually got in the package and all that. That's the point that I'm trying to drive home is their track record is very bad. I mean, it's again, the Adams thing, two firsts and a third and then for Russ they get two firsts a couple seconds. They get no fan, they get additional other pieces. It's a better package, but it's not that much better, especially when you consider they threw in a first and like they traded Max Unger to get Jimmy Graham. Max Unger goes on to play all but one game for the next four years for the Saints, reaches his third Pro Bowl. He'd been a two-time Pro Bowler for the Seahawks. He didn't actually get paid anymore. His cap number went down two years in New Orleans. His four-year cap number with New Orleans averaged less than his final two years in Seattle. Meanwhile, Graham got the huge raise when he came to Seattle. I mean, like he's a center, Max Unger. Like he's not a, a hugely important position, but that was like not a small part of that trade where they just gave up a Pro Bowl center. And then they had really big issues at center for the next couple of years. That was a 2015 trade. It's part of what was the problem in like 2017 when they missed the playoffs was their interior O-line got really bad. Anyway, they, they, they've made a bunch of these bad trades. It's in the past. I understand that. But like there was way more than enough cost to fire them between the, those decisions and the inability to try new things offensively. And that's really the sort of the frustrating part. I think the biggest frustrating part for me is we never got to see Russ Cook in in seattle and the fact is as far as i'm concerned the fact that they went to the the playoffs as many years as they did especially after they lost the legion of boom and their d was not as good anymore and you know you can say in these most recent years they had lockett and metcalf but for a stretch there basically is doug baldwin and not much else you know bringing jimmy graham who was you know statistically fine for seattle but wasn't that great of an addition percy harvin almost barely plays for the team they're allocating resources terribly across the board. They're, they're, you know, they're 
most of their draft picks at skill positions are not hitting. The main reason they went to the playoffs all of these seasons is Russell Wilson. Like he was, we know for years, Seattle played in these games where like they weren't necessarily putting teams away. And then Russ would play well late in the game and help them win. And that clock ran out a couple of years ago. Russ stopped being so good late in the games, but he has had a long track record of strong play down the stretch to help them win games, basically to, to essentially bail out poor decision-making. And so you watch that weekend and week out year in and year out. And you're like, you just want to see what they could be because they're still making the playoffs every year. Um, you you want to see what it could be like if they actually went a different way. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. If this if this pushes Carroll and, and Schneider out, then, you know, eventually, then the Seahawks can move forward and have a potentially positive next chapter in their career. I don't think this is something that has to reverberate for a decade. I just don't understand why Carroll and Schneider are still there when you look at what they've done for. It's like seven years now. It's a lot of years. I mean, I understand they won a Super Bowl, and they, they made those picks that created that amazing window. But starting in 2015, like, again, this dynasty owner, you know, comparison where buying high and selling low and not understanding value. Like, I would make a case if you were trying to dismantle what they had from 2015 on, you would go the route they did, basically. You would just throw away value without it being super obvious, maybe, is the way that I would frame that. Because you could obviously just start giving up horrible, horrible trades. But you would start to make all these trades for pieces that aren't necessarily what you need. Like, the even the Harvin and Graham stuff. They were successful with Doug Baldwin and Jermaine Curse, who were late round draft picks. Um, you know, Tyler Lockett's a third round pick, and, and Tyler Lockett's obviously very good, but I think there's a strong case that Russell Wilson, because of the way he extend plays and, and things like that, is helping his receivers be better. I mean, I think the efficiency backs this up as well. These receivers having really strong efficiency and, and having so many big plays late in the snap, the time to throw stuff. The fact that Russ is creating some time and then throwing such accurate deep balls is helping. At the same time, I'm not trying to take anything away from a guy like Tyler Lockett, who is incredible at like contested catches and on the other end of a lot of these plays. But I think Russ is one of these rare guys. Like as somebody who was very 100% on the Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell discussion last year, Russ is one of the guys, though, that I think you could make a case he elevated his receivers enough, especially in his peak, that you didn't need – this is going way back to Harvin and Graham, but you didn't need to be allocating resources to Harvin and Graham. You need to be allocating resources to protecting him on the offensive line. That's how I felt at that time. They already had a great D and everything. Anyway, I think from 2015 on that they have more or less shown how you would dismantle this roster if you were trying to. I mean, how, how to least – effectively manage this roster. And that includes the in-game stuff where you're not recognizing the reason that you keep making the playoffs is Russell Wilson, and you're not maximizing his ability to succeed with early down passes and things like that. You're basically hiding your best player. Like, can you think of a worse way that they would have done things over the last seven years? I mean, I think the only way that I, I, I can't think of a worse one, like the only way to be basically any worse as if like Wilson gets hurt and things, but the, the ways that they capped their ceiling were, you know, not allocating resources correctly and then not allowing Russ uh, to be sort of the centerpiece focal point of their team. So I'm just repeating that point over and over, but I'm, I'm that's the frustration for me is that we'll never get this future uh, or this potential Russ thing where he's actually, 
I, you know what it is? I just want to stick it to the, these friends and family members that think Russell, Russell Wilson isn't as good as he is. I just wanted that year where I could prove that like once they let Russell Wilson do the things that I'm saying, that the Seahawks would have been better. Well, Maybe now you're I'm wrong about that. chance because it's going to happen in 2022. Yeah, but you've already made it clear that it's not because <laughs> of him. <laughs> so let me make the opposite argument, or not the opposite argument, but kind of building on what you said there about how they've done everything that a bad dynasty manager would do during that time period that at this point they've finally done the thing that a very savvy dynasty manager would do and sell early instead of selling too late you know letting wilson play for a couple more years perhaps having a couple more years like the last one that knocked down his trade value having that element then where you're like well now the trade value is down i'm going to keep paying maybe we have you know, this 37, 38, 39-year-old Super Bowl win. And again, that kind of thing's not impossible. I and mean, we've seen Peyton Manning, Tom Brady win as little quarterbacks, but I think they're a very different model quarterback. Anyway, we've talked about that. Let me make the argument that this is a great trade, okay? They get the two firsts, they get the two seconds, they get Noah Fant. This is basically three firsts and two seconds, right? Noah Fant is a former number 20 pick, and he's been good, right? If you go into the Stealing Signals tool, on Rotoviz, cool tool, obviously inspired by Ben. And if you're looking at that and you have any questions, you know, don't give Ben a hard time. It's run by us, and Dave Cabin does a great job with that. It uses the information from Sports Info Solutions, and so they obviously have a slightly different definition of routes and some context. So you're not going to see it necessarily match up with, you know, different services that have different definition for routes. But you get in there and you look at the tight end position from last season. And there are 12 tight ends with more routes. But when you look at the tight ends who both have more routes and a higher yards per route than Noah Fant, the only players you have left are Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, Kyle Pitts, Dalton Schultz, and Mike Gesicki. The other thing that we know about Noah Fant is that he's one of the most athletic tight ends in the NFL. And then he put up those numbers with Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke, who are excruciatingly terrible. Right. So now you put Fant into this offense with Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf. You have one of the most talented receiving groups in the entire NFL, certainly one of the most athletic. You think about defenses going out there and trying to deal with the size, athleticism packages of Metcalf and Fant, and it's very daunting. Right. Now, Fant. You have both the good and the bad with him as being a former first-round pick. The number one thing here is that he's a first-round pick that hit. And one of the things that you've mentioned has been very clear kind of as we've gone throughout is that all first-round picks do not hit. And these trades, you know, it's hard not to evaluate them in retrospect based on whether or not the guys hit. Because, you know, you can either, either have a superstar, you could have somebody who becomes the next Wilson, and then plus where you could essentially have nothing. And that's why, obviously, you have an extremely wide range of outcomes for what happens now with the Seahawks. But the thing with Fant is that we know that he is good. There's a chance that he takes a second step with any other quarterback. The thing, I mean, I think that there would have been better optics for the Seahawks if they had just said, you know, there's no way we're taking Drew Locke back in this trade. We, we don't want to have that on this, right? But so they have him and his but one contract on number in, in 2022 is $2.2 million. He's going to be a value again in 2023. Spotrac has his actual value at $13.9 million. And so from that contract perspective that we talked about, this is also a massive win 
for the Seahawks. So you, you look at those elements of it. And I, think I, it I got to cut in here to argue with the contract thing because he's played three years. He's got four years in a fifth year option. He, I assume they're going to pick up his fifth year option. So he'll get a raise in the fifth year. You're right. He's going to be a value next year, but we already missed three of the years of the really nice, you know, rookie contract numbers. He's going to be due for a new contract after 2023. And we don't think Seattle's going to win in 2022. So 2023, he'll be a value. And because he came in fairly young, he's one of these guys. That's one of the things too, sort of when you're looking at, you know, we look at the the age that the players come into the NFL because it actually does have a pretty big relevance in terms of, you know, whether or not we would expect them to beat their draft position. But then it's also this element of like what their trade window will be in dynasty. And, and some people come back like, what's does it matter if they're 22 or 23 or 21? I mean, you're talking about, I mean, who cares when they're 29 or 30? Right. But from a reality perspective, one of the things that also matters is that you're getting a better window with that second contract. And so, you know, potentially they blow that element of it. But there's also this situation where when they're extending him, if they don't have great quarterback play in 2022, then they could probably extend him to a, a more favorable deal than if you were to light it up in 2022. I think that that combination of elements is going to make him just this amazing value for the Seahawks. But again, I mean, he's good, right? And so that part of it, the fact that they got Fant back in addition to the two picks in the first round and the second round, I think is key because you've then eliminated some of the massive variance by now looking at it and say, I mean, anybody who comes in here, he's going to have guys to throw to. Then you look at the two first round picks and the two second round picks. The picks this year are very valuable, right? So they're not just a first round pick and a second round pick. It's number nine and number 40. And so you're getting a pick at number nine that's kind of in that Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson range. Now, obviously, we wouldn't expect most of the picks to be that good, but you have a potential to hit on some guys. And one of the things, too, that's interesting there, I mean, if people had been higher or as high, just like if they had thought there was any possibility that these guys would be what they turned out to be, they would have not have gone at those picks. And I think that kind of gets back to this year's class. And one of the interesting things now is that you start to get the perception that NFL decision makers are now higher on Malik Willis than Trey Lance, right? That Malik Willis could do Kyler Murray types of things. So one of the things with Murray and with that scrambling ability is maybe you don't have to be as good of a passer. There are multiple other quarterbacks in terms of Ritter having the nice combine. You see reports that Howell had the nice combine in terms of some of the things they did in the passing drills. And he's someone who's just massively undervalued in terms of how teams are looking at him. Matt Corral, somebody who very interesting from that perspective too. There are a number of guys in this class who fit number one, what the Seahawks have been doing on offense and have this ability to maybe make some of these plays work where you would need to extend the play, but also kind of fit what the NFL is going to. And so I think that element of the class is interesting. I mentioned the catastrophic trade. I think there's a possibility either, number one, that the Seahawks make a move for a veteran that essentially cannibalizes all of this. The other thing that they could do would be to do what the 49ers did with Lance and end up paying a bunch to get up because Malik Willis is going to end up going above where they are at number nine, right? So if they want him, they're going to have to pay more. And then you've got you've paid a ton for somebody who, you know, we have no idea how he's going to play. And the way that they've used resources – that's a real risk. I agree with almost everything you just said. And I think no fan is a key part of this deal as you uh, approach it going forward. 
I think you're taking a more level-headed approach. It is just, it, it really is impossible to view this trade in a vacuum. I mean, for me, it's one of these things that it's the culmination of a lot of years of, essentially, I've, I've thought Pete Carroll and, and Schneider should have been removed multiple years ago. And so for me, it's been multiple years of when when is that time going to come? And then for Russ to get dealt, and yes, there's been trade rumors and, and discussion for over a year now, but for him to get dealt sort of before they are removed, after, especially after what happened in 2021, like, and that, that was a point actually earlier in the conversation I wanted to have. You talked about Russ's numbers being down. I mean, he was terrible in his first game back from the hand injury, and he's acknowledged that he probably wasn't healthy. But, I mean, just watching him, the the one big stat the rest of the season for him that was not anywhere near his career numbers was his completion percentage. And watching him, he had several passes that were just like 10 yards over a player's head. And it's like, okay, he's obviously not gripping the football like the same way he's still he's still getting the, the feel of this but he had some efficient games i did go back and look at his game log when you mentioned his 2021 21 play and you're talking about his qbr being down and stuff his traditional passer rating which was the only one i could pull up quickly on pro football reference 110 or higher in all four of his first four games this year and then in game week five is when he got hurt and then when he came back he had like a 39 it was probably his worst career game they got shut out it was the first time he ever got shut out in green bay he had another like 55 game a couple other really poor games after coming back from the injury. But I mean, the first month of the season, a lot of those stats were still sort of in, in range of his prior career. So the, the hand injury stuff and all that going forward will be interesting. But you make really good points about the team. The, the part that, or about the trade and about the, the future of the team, the part that is really hard to, to take in a vacuum is, you know, what I'm hearing from a lot of Seattle people, what are they even going to do with these picks? You're talking about, you know, the Patrick Mahomes range of quarterback, and there's been some quarterbacks that have hit there and, Certainly a competent GM. <laughs> I'm not saying Schneider is incompetent, but a you'd be excited about the potential, especially because there are some positives from this QB class. My concern is, especially with their track record of not only um, not hitting on these picks, but taking guys a lot higher than consensus. As we see somebody at nine that they could almost have traded back to get, but you talked about also potentially trading up and using more resources. I've heard some rumors about trying to trade for Deshaun Watson which I think would just be a just a very weird, weird next step. But at nine, you it, it, it like again, it's hard to view it in a vacuum because are, what are they going to do? I mean, for all we know, they're going to take another toolsy defensive lineman around ahead of where everyone thinks he's going to go. Everyone thinks he's a second, mid-second rounder, and, and they're going to take him at nine. They've done that multiple times in at like 15 and 16. They've never really picked this high for several years, but – you know, I've seen the jokes that like they'll, they'll just take a bunch of running backs. Like they'll they'll just go take Brees Hall in the top ten, which like honest to God would not surprise me. That's what that, like we don't know. Like I don't think any pick would surprise me with the Seahawks. So that's part of it. I agree with you that on paper right now, everything you're saying, like you could manage the rest of this in a way that it would be exciting for me, frankly. But I don't necessarily trust them too, and so that's um, that's a huge challenge. I just don't. I I, I just keep going back. I've already played my hand I, I i'm just upset that we didn't get an opportunity to see russ under a different coaching staff frankly you know a different offensive scheme in seattle um because i do think they overachieved the talent around him for a long time a lack of offensive line they've had good pass catchers recently but in the last several years a bad defense as well i mean they've just not had a lot else besides russell wilson and they've made the playoffs every year of his career except two seasons and i think a lot of that they started playing very well down the stretch last year and 
now they're going to have a lot of resources or some interesting resources in this draft. We know they're going to have a lot of resources in the 2023 draft. But the other thing is that they're now number two in cap space with the Bobby Wagner release. Are you excited? Obviously, you're not excited because you think that they're going to make terrible moves. But the other thing that they could do here now is build on this team that was finishing well and actually have a lot of talent for 2022 if they spend that money. And one of the things that we know is that a lot of this is random, right? A lot of what happens in the draft and in free agency for NFL teams is random. You get a little bit more of a hot streak in terms of having some things or, you know, just our average or whatnot, but you spend this money that you have. It's one of the reasons why having a lot of money is good because you're going to make some good decisions, some bad decisions, and then have a pretty well-rounded roster now going forward. Is that element of it intrigue you at all? I mean, we were really excited about some of these teams that have cap space to spend that that even have already seemed locked into quarterbacks who are not as good as some of the options the, the Seahawks might end up with. Yeah, no, I mean, I, there's definitely positive outcomes for the Seahawks. I think the biggest one, obviously, would be is if at nine they're able to get a quarterback who's good, even just good. I mean, then it doesn't have to be Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson or anything, but that's also the range where, you know, you can talk about Jake Locker or, or uh, you know, Blaine Gabbert. Jake Locker or, was the other name that was jumping yeah. out for me in terms of if you go after that athletic yeah. QB, you know, you could get Jake Locker. Yeah, Blaine, I think Blaine Gabbert won that range. Christian Ponder. I mean, there's a lot of... I don't know that I'm going to hit on every single one of them. And then there's Ben Buss have gone even higher, like the Blake Bortles of the world and stuff. I mean, like the point is it's hard to find a quarterback. And, and sort of my point is I think Russell Wilson still has, you know, elite traits and everything that we know, especially giving him some leniency on the fact that he was coming back from a broken hand late last season, that I think everything we know up to this point suggests that yes, there is risk that he's just never the same because of that broken hand. You can't just throw away that he was bad after the broken hand. And there's risk with his age and, and the, that he's an athletic quarterback. You talked about the uh, Manning and Brady being a different style of quarterback. Completely agree with that. There is risk, but that everything that we know suggests that the that it's a, a gamble worth making. I think Denver hit a home run here in terms of like they know that you can miss on quarterbacks and they have not been able to find a quarterback since Manning. And, and they do have a really great roster and needed a quarterback. And it's almost like they could have given up a lot more than this, frankly, to insert a quarterback that at least has – reasons to believe that he can play at an incredibly high level and i think especially because those are some of the more stable elements of quarterback play that he's still been pretty strong at and we only have really small samples of him being poor at it and there's these injury asterisks you can put in that, that, that there's a strong case to be made that he's still a really high level quarterback at least for right now but yeah no i mean you've made good points throughout this pod you've, you've given me good reasons to to reconsider i think in different ways what do you think – you think Seattle is going to be bad in 22, so I don't think I can get you to uh, argue they're going to go win the division because everything's going to go so perfect for them this offseason. But what do you think is – what's your hot take for the optimistic upside for Seattle in the next two or three years? What what ends up happening? How, how does this gel positively for them? Well, I think they have to take an athletic quarterback. I think that because they hit on an athletic quarterback previously, that's going to be – what they look for. It's obviously what the whole NFL is looking for. I think that quarterback struggles despite the weapons in 2022. I think that the coach and GM get fired. They have high picks in 2023. I think the quarterback bounces back in 2023, just takes that second step. Blair Andrews has some great research on that being the breakout for these 
top drafted QBs. At that point, they have a ton of talent around them. They've got the free agent additions who make the team better. They've got those draft picks that make the team better. And they go on a run starting in 2023 where they're a high-flying, high-scoring offense behind a young, dynamic, innovative coach. And Seattle fans are very excited that they make this trade because it paved the way for the next big championship window in Seattle. Okay, then what happens with the Broncos? I think the Broncos end up meeting the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC championship game where Patrick Mahomes throws for 450 yards and (laughs) tramples them into the dust at Arrowhead Stadium. We get uh, a fun shootout between Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. Ben, throwing it back to you for our final point. Do you have a favorite Denver Broncos skill player following this trade? I know that you were ecstatic about that Tim Patrick extension they managed to work yes. out during the season last year. Well, no, I mean, my my I haven't given the, the fantasy side a ton of thought yet, which is interesting because I'm always like immediately doing that. But because I've been so invested in in the Russell Wilson saga, I've certainly been focused more on the real life implications. Um, but I my immediate thought was those deep balls are going to be great for KJ Hamler. I mean, as a low-key thing, obviously he's still their fourth receiver. And then everyone's thought was, okay, Noah Fant's gone. Uh, Albert uh, Okwugwanam is is in a great spot now. And he started to actually go higher than Fant in the immediate aftermath in drafts. I saw that on Twitter this morning. And look, that's still a crowded passing game. But the thing I'll say about Albert O is he has had really strong targets per outrun both seasons in small samples and good efficiency both seasons. It's a wide range, and and you can overpay for these sort of upside tight ends, but there's nothing to suggest that he might not be just really, really good. And, Sean, you've said he could be potentially a top-six tight end or something like that in, in the NFL. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but he he looked like that as a toolsy, very athletic player out of college, and in his first couple of years in small samples, again, he has looked like he can earn targets and produce efficiently on those targets at the NFL level. So – He's really interesting, obviously, in the tight end grouping going forward. The big discussion is going to be Sutton versus Judy. I mean, I think it's a big upgrade for Sutton. I think Sutton has been so heavily dependent on how good of downfield passing he's gotten out of the quarterbacks he's played with. And Wilson is is a great fit for that. And I think Sutton's good at football. I've kind of always thought that. So I'm very much optimistic about Sutton. And I have a little bit of a harder time envisioning how Judy fits because Judy is this sort of route running timing type runner in, in some some elements and like you noted Wilson is not really the quarterback to drop back and and hit a pass on like a timing route necessarily and I don't necessarily think Judy's that great of a downfield player so that's what I'm, I'm struggling with because I do still like Judy's like targets per hour on some of those things and he's he looks good statistically in a way where if his efficiency could boost, he would be really good. And I do think Russ is going to add to the efficiency of his receivers. He's done that in the past. And so I'm not like saying I would take Sutton over Judy. I'm trying to process those two. I'm curious what you think about those two. Yeah, it's interesting. I think what you're mentioning is is dead on. The thing with Judy is that his air yards just really were impressive when Cortland Sutton was out when Judy was a rookie. And then last year, obviously, they go back with Sutton being the downfield guy. So it'll be interesting to see what the new coaching staff wants to do and how they'll use them. I assume that they're going to use their stars in a way that works best with their quarterback, right? I mean, that's what a good coaching staff would do. But I do think there is some risk with kind of how they have things structured now 
that Patrick and Judy will cannibalize to an extent and that the person who comes through with the value part of it is we're just still, still holding on for KJ Hamler. But you look at those deep targets and where they could really come into play, obviously Cortland Sutton, and then Hamler maybe being a guy who takes enough away from Judy and Patrick that, you know, and Patrick is someone, a very solid sort of reality receiver, not someone who is as trendy in fantasy, although now with Russell Wilson, obviously that could change. But I think that where the values are going to end up being you know, would probably be with Hamler. And then I'm perfectly happy with you putting words in my mouth on Albert O. Blair and I collaborated on a quick React piece yesterday, and I wrote the tight end part. Uh, showed some things from our Workout Explorer, which we also have some articles up, as you kind of alluded to, about the most recent combine. But Albert O's physical comps, pretty impressive where those guys are. And then, again, out of the Stealing Signals tool, some really cool stuff with him, basically just what you alluded to, that he looks like, I don't know. He looks like he could be an absolute star, right? And so the the ceiling is incredibly high there. The and, and on Patrick, the one thing that I immediately thought of is like, I mean, like I've never tried to say that he's bad. I think he's like a competent NFL receiver. He's just never earned targets at a really high rate, and there's a lot of competition there. But like he could be like the next Jermaine Curse type of guy. Like to me, like that's sort of the player that he is, and a guy that Wilson elevated, you know, earlier in his career. So. It wouldn't honestly surprise me if Patrick winds up being somewhat good this year, especially sort of dependent on who it's still really crowded. You know, we're talking about Hamler as his fourth receiver getting enough snaps to be interesting. Hamler, obviously great profile has not had uh, a lot of luck staying healthy, but um, is good down the field as fast as is, uh, is a deep threat. So it'll be interesting, you know, with the Patrick contract, if Hamler even gets on the field a lot, if he's not, if Patrick's out there in a lot of routes, I mean, I could see Patrick end up being pretty good. And like you said, Patrick and Judy might cannibalize each other, which would make Patrick the better value, obviously. He's still going to go pretty late in drafts, whereas Judy's going to go pretty high. Do you think there's enough volume for Alberto? I think so. I think he's going to be somebody. And we know that the tight ends are going to suffer if you have a ton of great wide receivers, too. It's not just because people are in different route concepts or have different roles that the other players don't affect them. But I think he is going to be a little bit more insulated. And just I think that his athleticism you look at them and i mentioned fant as one of the most athletic guys in the nfl and fant is somebody who's actually impressed when you control for how bad the quarterbacks were that he played with and yet when you watch these two guys play albert looked better right and he looks more fluid out there he just he looks like somebody who in two years we could be talking about as the overall tight end one and so i think that he'll be good even if he doesn't get anywhere close to that i think he's somebody who is going to be big for them and then yeah the the thing with hamler we say it for the end of the show, but there's the fire fantasy take right there. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is great for Hamler too, I think, because the new coaching staff should also help. I think after the long drop touchdown to start the year last year, you could already see him being phased out by the coaching staff. And then the Tim Patrick contract was almost something to sort of rub in that they don't think that he's part of the future. Now, I think he gets new life with the new coaches and then the new QB who would seemingly fit what he does well. So beautifully. Yeah. We're going to have him in every single draft in the last round uh, again this year. It's going to be fun uh, when that doesn't work out again. Um, <laughs> and then Javante Williams is the other one. Everyone thinks Melvin Gordon will be back. He's been so good. It is a competitive free agency uh, field that running back. We've talked about, you know, Fournette and <clears throat> the Arizona running backs 
So if Gordon doesn't find a, a very good um, market, there's this possibility he could be back. But my my thinking now is like financially, they probably don't want him back at a, any kind of a big deal. So I'm I'm getting a, I got more a lot more excited about. Obviously, the the offense gets better as well, which is good for Javante Williams potentially. But I think with this trade, the possibility that Melvin Gordon's not back also increased. That was sort of my read. Did you have a different one there? No, I. I... I think that that's true, and this is a situation where Williams' ADP in the early second round is surprising to me, right? And we know that there are a lot of good wide receivers who should be going in the first round, but Dynasty participants have been reluctant in past years to make those selections. I mean, I still think that Williams is an option at the 103, right? I okay. mean, you could start Taylor, <laughs> McCaffrey. I thought the Albert, the, the Albert O point was fire. We're really bringing it here for all the, the Stealing Bananas listeners that stayed after the one-hour mark on, on this podcast. No, but I, I'm with you, man. Like, I'm excited to draft Javante Williams. I I was wondering how high you'd go with that. When you said uh, in the second round was confusing, I, I was wondering if you were saying it was too high to be taking him or too low. I, I, I had an in- inkling that it was too low. And we talked early in the offseason about potentially him being a top-five guy. But you're right there, 103. Yeah, I mean – the most recent draft I did took Cooper Cup at the 102. So there are obviously other guys who can go in there. But the fact that you can yeah, get him at the 110 is great if you think that he's worth the 103. I mean, that's that's the point, right? Yeah. Definitely. And you look at you know how good he is, how much they're going to score. The thing with Melvin Gordon I think is confusing. Every year I like to put together this projection of where all 32 uh, – well, the projection for all 32 running back depth charts, and then I can compare it to what actually happened, and you're like, yeah, I'm – Obviously, you can't predict the future, and it's super weird what teams decide to do. You mentioned that there is this path to Gordon going back, and he said that he would like to be back. The Broncos have said they'd like him back. One of the things that we do know is that running backs get hurt a lot, and if you go from a superstar to someone who is below replacement level, then it does change your offense, even though running backs are not super important to what NFL teams are doing. right? And so NFL teams, if they have the option of putting an elite backup in there, they will do that. But price comes into play. And from Melvin Gordon's perspective, and this is kind of what he said, and this is one of the reasons why I think I'm more skeptical that he'll be back maybe than what ADP suggests in terms of where Williams is going, is that he said that he's still good. and He wants a shot at being a starter. It seems like there would be teams who would also be interested in him at that level. And one of the reasons that last year was so frustrating and that Williams, despite these incredible peripherals, didn't earn a massive workload or or share of the workload at the end of the season is that melvin gordon was playing well i I just don't see how he goes back because when he sees it i mean he's been in this situation before when your backup or your running mate is significantly better than you the next year i mean you just we've seen it too often if he goes back he's not going to play and he's too good to sit on the bench so i mean he's essentially going back to denver to be there in case javante williams gets hurt yeah why would he make that decision right He'll, he'll go to Seattle where they'll pay him $20 million a year. And gives them a very good offensive skill position group with no offense, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. All right. I think I think we've we've done enough. Done enough damage. <laughs> well, Ben, that will do it for today's trade episode of Ceiling Bananas. We get all of our Russell Wilson thoughts in there. We wish him the best, the Broncos the best, the Seahawks especially the best. You know, Ben's area of the country there. His team, even though he claims not to be a super fan, he was very emotionally invested in what happened here. So it was Can a lot I of clarify fun. clarify that? To... 
I, yes, there's people that, that hit on fans for being fair weather fans. So my point is I'm not trying to claim that I have a right to be as big of a fan as other people do. At the same time, I'm not going to deny that I, that I care. So that's the point. I'm not trying to like overstate that it hurt me more. Cause you know what I mean? You get, you know, fandom's a weird thing. Anyway, I'll let you. Sure. No, I, I think it's perfectly justified. I mean, when you were so frustrated about that yesterday, I'm like, I think this is going to work out. It was, yeah, I did keep going back to as soon as the chiefs passed on Jonathan Taylor in that draft, I was like, I'm going to remember this the rest of my life. So um, I, I understand where you're coming from there. <laughs> That'll do it for us today. We enjoyed chatting with you guys. We'll be back soon. Obviously we had a little bit different of a tempo this week. You'll get our episodes as soon as they come out. If you subscribe to our feed on your favorite podcast app, if you can leave us a rating and review, we always really appreciate that. Even refreshing it really helps us with the algorithm. I'm Sean Siegel. With me is Ben Gretsch. Uh, please follow him and subscribe to Stealing Signals. You can follow him on Twitter at Yards Per Gretsch. He mentioned some potential Stealing Signals articles to me before the show that I think you'll want to be subscribed to get. If you want to join us at Rotoviz, we would love to have you. Some of the tools we mentioned in the show are part of the subscription. You can get 10% off by using the coupon code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. We'll talk with you guys soon.